Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. We are back to the life of David, but with just a little twist, so let me explain. So three weeks ago, Pastor Scott walked us through God's process for finding his king of Israel, uh, who was after his own heart. And then we we skipped ahead a little bit, and Pastor Tyler guided us through the the famous encounter with David and Goliath. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to step back literally and look at a series of things that occurred right after God chooses his king. And I chose the title of Crossed Paths because several paths are going to cross one another. And with each intersection, something pretty significant happens. So let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to read what happens and then we'll get into all of this. And we're going to start with verse 14. And this is what it says. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by his son, by David his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. All right. So now, before we get into this specific passage, let's just take a moment and give it a proper setup. Because earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, the people of Israel have decided that the leaders God has chosen for them weren't good enough. They wanted what the surrounding nations all had, and that's a king. So God gives them what they ask for. And he instructs the prophet Samuel that a man from the tribe of Benjamin will come your way. He will be the king the people are demanding. And his name is Saul. But Saul's reign is filled with disappointments and disobedience. And and if you guys remember, just a few weeks ago, Pastor Pat actually walked us through this whole section of Saul's reign. And one of the points he pointed out to us was this, that a strong start does not guarantee a strong finish because Saul does start well, but that's not how it ends. And as a matter of fact, in chapter 14, Samuel gives explicit instructions to Saul concerning the Amalekites. But Saul disobeys God yet again. And this brings us to our first crossed path, okay? This is our first crossed path. And the first point in our notes today, for those filling in the blanks, is the anointing and the arrival. 
the anointing and the arrival. So with this last act of disobedience, God is done with Saul as king. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 34, it says, the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, is this a moment where we see God acknowledging that he's made a mistake? Not at all. This is actually the fulfillment of what God told Samuel back in chapter 8. See, God told Samuel that they wanted a king not because they are rejecting you, Samuel, but because they're rejecting me. So warn them of what this will mean, but give them exactly what they want. And God's regret is recorded because of his love for his people. And he hates seeing what they are now having to suffer through. But God wasn't the only one upset. Samuel was upset too. But, you know, right in the beginning of 1 Samuel 16, God says to Samuel, um, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Or in today's vernacular, hey, Samuel, what's your problem? So the Lord sends Samuel to Bethlehem to find a man named Jesse. As God says, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And that brings us to verse 11 through 13 in uh, 1 Samuel 16. And I want us to read this because it's pretty significant. It says, starting with verse 11, Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is where we have our first cross paths because Samuel finds David. So Samuel and David now meet for the first time and their lives have intersected. And David is anointed, the king of Israel. And then with this anointing, the Holy Spirit arrives upon David. As a matter of fact, in verse 13, it says the Holy Spirit rushes upon David. And if you've heard that before, that's the exact same thing that happened to Saul. And so now David and the Holy Spirit have now intersected. And now we come to our second crossed path. And this is our second point today. It's the departure and the exposure. Verse 14 tells us, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. The word departed here in Hebrew, in Hebrew is samek vavresh. Samek vavresh, meaning to change direction, to, sur to turn aside. But maybe more specifically for us today, it means to abandon, to desist from, to remove something or someone. Now, church, this, this is important because in spite of everything that Saul has done, all of the boneheaded decisions he's made and being disobedient to God, the spirit of the Lord was still with him until now. 
So you might be asking, can the spirit of the Lord depart from me? Well, church, know that all of this is happening during the Mosaic dispensation. This is under the old covenant. See, Israel is still following the Ten Commandments that were given to them in the wilderness after being delivered out of slavery from Egypt. So sacrifices and burnt offerings are still in play for the forgiveness of sins. But for us, Jesus, the Messiah, came to fulfill the law. He became the perfect sacrifice once and for all for sin. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper or counselor, or as we commonly refer to him, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. And the Lord also tells us in Hebrew chapter 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I want us to just sit in this, in this moment because I think it's important for us to ask this question. What do we receive with the Lord's presence in our lives? See, to have his spirit dwelling with, within us is to be in his presence. And what comes with his spirit in us? I'm just going to walk through just a, a few things that we find that Scripture refers to. And you're going to have the Scripture references up there. We're not going to read them, but I want you to have them. And so when we get done with the list, if you want to take your phone out and take a quick picture of it for reference, boom, you do that. So here we go. The first one is the Spirit of God restores us. And Paul talks about that in Philippians 1, verse 6. Second one is the Spirit of God empowers us. And we find that recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Next, we have the Spirit of God protects us. And this is in Galatians chapter 5. And I, I just wanted to spend a moment just, just on this concept of protection. I think, especially in today's world for us, protection is something that's kind of important. I, you know, especially... You know, I know we think about it, you know, mentally, we think about it physically, emotionally, but spiritually, I think our protection really matters. Now, I can just take you back to a moment in my life. I was about 9, 10 years old, and in my neighborhood in Oakland, California, you, you knew everybody who lived on your street. And so, if somebody came walking through your neighborhood, you knew that they weren't from there. In most cases, they just kind of keep walking, heading on wherever they're going. But this one day, this white pickup truck, and this is amazing that I remember this, this white pickup truck comes pulling down my street, and it's not going very fast, and there's some, some, some dudes in the back of it. I don't know who they are. I've never seen them before, and I'm just watching them in the truck as the truck goes by. But one of them decides to call me a name. Now, church, to this day, I cannot tell you what that name was they called me. All I know was I didn't like it. So... Being 9, 10 years old, I gave a 9, 10-year-old response back at that particular time, and I said, your mama. <laughs> now, you have to understand, that particular phrase back then carried a certain velocity with it, all right? So when I said that, the truck stopped, and all four of the guys in the back got out and started walking in my direction. Now, I want you to understand, I, I'm about 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, I weigh probably about 80 pounds, all right? I mean, wind could knock me over. 
And I look out, and I don't have any friends. I don't have anybody there with me. And this is, this is not going to go well. But, all right, I, I know what I said. They're coming. I'm about to get my butt whooped, but I'm going to go down swinging, all right? So I did all that math real quick, all right? But about halfway to me, all four of them stopped. And I mean all four of them stopped at the same time. They turned around, got back in the truck, and the truck pulls off. Now, I'm standing there going, all right, I, I, don't, I don't know what just happened right there. And then I hear somebody call my name, Damien. And I turn around, and it's my big brother who's on the porch. My 22-year-old big brother who's on the porch. And I realized that I had protection that I had no idea existed in that moment. Now, I want you to be straight on about this now. He had no idea that he was coming out to protect me. He was coming to tell me, look, mama wants you. Get in here, all right? But the timing couldn't have been any better, and the protection couldn't have been any more serious for me. And I want you to understand that the, having the Spirit of God gives us protection that I think sometimes we don't pay attention to, Okay? All right, let's get back to this. The Spirit of God restores, empowers, protects. The next one is the Spirit of God guides us. And Jesus talks about that in John 14. And then the Spirit of God convicts us of sin. And Jesus talks about that again in John 16. And then finally, the Spirit of God gives us pace. It gives us pace. And, and this is interesting because Paul talks about this in Galatians 5, verse 25, where he actually says that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. We're to walk with the Spirit. Don't walk ahead of the Spirit, okay, which tends to be, it, it, we live in a tough culture right now. We're, we're in, a, in a culture that says, yes, let's go, let's move, let's happen, let's go, let's say, you know, everything is bigger, faster, quicker. And it reminds me of, there was a gentleman, I think there's a good number of you who remember him. His name was John Wooden. He was a very famous basketball coach for UCLA. And he coached there, there we go, and he coached there for quite a while, for a number of years. And he's considered one of the most successful basketball coaches in history because he won, I believe I got this number right, 13 national championships. But in two particular seasons, they never lost a basketball game. They went undefeated two seasons in a row back to back. So he was very successful at what he did as a basketball coach, but he also wanted to teach these young men. He felt like he needed to pour into them. He needed to help them be better, not just at basketball, but at life. And one of his most common and well-known sayings is, be quick, but don't hurry. Be quick, but don't hurry. And I find this just to line up right with Paul is telling us, okay, if the Spirit is moving you to be quick with doing something, then stay with the Spirit. But if the Spirit isn't moving quick, don't, don't hurry. Don't get ahead of the Spirit. Walk in pace with Him. Can you imagine life today without any of these? No restoration. No empowerment, no protection, no guidance, no conviction of sin, and no pace in life. That church is now Saul's reality. And with the absence of God's spirit, Saul is left exposed and susceptible. 
Without the Spirit of God, we are left exposed and susceptible. But how? We are, find ourselves where our minds are unprotected, our hearts are unprotected, our fleshly desires are exposed, and our thoughts are exposed. And church, I want you to understand that as we continue this journey in the life of David, every single thing that I just read off right there, we're going to witness happen in Saul's life. But Saul's exposure, this, this spiritual void now that exists, it doesn't last long. For now a harmful spirit from the Lord arrives. And that word harmful in Hebrew means distressing and contemptible, bad, evil, wicked. And this spirit instantly begins to torment him. Now you may be asking, does God have an evil or harmful, harmful spirit? Absolutely not. But God is God of everything, everywhere, all the time. And that includes his ability to command and send an evil spirit for his purposes. The spirit of God is gone from Saul and a harmful spirit has taken his place. And this is our second cross path of Saul and this harmful spirit. Their lives are now intersected. In Matthew Henry's concise commentary, which is a well-known resource that's used by preachers and teachers, he writes this, if God and grace do not rule us, sin and Satan will have possession of us. Let me read that again. If God and grace do not rule us, sin and Satan will have possession of us. Or maybe a better word today is occupation of our hearts and our minds because he will come in and he will take a place in our lives if God and grace don't rule us. Church, moving on to our third point. We come to the first testimony of David. And this is a moment of action and reaction. Because this is the very first time David is mentioned. So church, here's what's, here's what's in play, okay? These are the major things that are going down right now. Number one, Saul is being tormented. Number two, his servants go into action. Number three, they begin to describe David. And this all happens real quickly, okay? So Saul is in bad shape. He's being tormented by this spirit, or maybe it's better to describe it as him being terrified and gripped with sudden fear. And his servants know it immediately, immediately. And let's read this in verses 15 and 16. It says, And Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. These servants immediately identified not only the issue, but they identified the remedy and the type of person who can make it happen. So Saul grants them permission to find this person and then they describe this person with great detail. 
And he describes it here in verses 17 and 18. It says, so Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Now, why such immediate action from these servants? Well, I have a thought on this. You tell me what you think. While I've only had one king in my life, and his name is Jesus, I'm sensitive to the things that he is sensitive to. Why? Because what matters to him matters to me. So as I've watched this play out, I, I noticed something here. When a king or a, an emperor or a ruler um, is upset, who are the first ones who get subjected to their wrath. Well, I thought, well, maybe the generals of the army, oh, usually not the first ones. Maybe, maybe that ruler, that king's kids, eh, usually not right off the bat. It's usually the servants. They're usually the first ones to catch it, okay? And this just kind of reminded me, I'm going to take you back in my childhood one more time. On my street in my neighborhood, not only did all the kids know each other, we knew everybody's parents, all right? And I want you to understand, this is back in the day where you didn't call anybody's parent by their first name. You weren't crazy. They were Mr. This or Mrs. That. That's it, okay? And I grew up next door to a family. It was the Taylor family, okay? Five brothers, one sister. And they were almost like my extended brothers and sisters because we all did stuff together. And their mother, Mrs. Taylor, Mrs. Taylor was a small woman. So when I say five foot nothing and a hundred nothing, I really mean that. She was a small woman. But when she stepped outside, just like any other parent, the delivery of what she was about to say mattered. So you knew the difference between when somebody's mama was saying, hey, get in here, it's time to come eat as opposed to death is at your door if you don't do what I tell you to do. <laughs> so with Mrs. Taylor, when she spoke and came out and her wrath was on display, she would say, Samuel Vincent, Titus Lee, Andrew Bernard, Philip Vernon, John Earl, and Esther Denise, you better get your behinds in this house right now. Now, you have to understand, I've heard that a few times because to this day, I still know their first and, last, first and middle names. But when you heard it, you knew it's about to go down, all right? And I mean, to the point where I almost wanted to hug them. Hey, it's been good. <laughs> Love you. Godspeed. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to see you again. But those boys, and I'm saying, they're big, these big boys, Miss Taylor, a little woman, but these are big boys. They hustled into the house because in their minds, let's get in this house and get fixed. Whatever it is that's making mama upset right now, whatever it is, whatever we broke, whatever we didn't do, let's get in there and let's get it done. And those servants are doing no less with Saul because they do not want any part of his wrath. And here's something else that I found that was interesting. Did you see the words that they used to describe David? See, the first one they say is he's skillful in playing. 
Now, if I heard, if I was paying attention, right, wasn't that the only qualifier that they needed to go find this person? They needed to be skillful in playing to ease Saul and his torment. But they kind of go on. The next thing that they say is, he's a man of valor. And that word valor in Hebrew means he's powerful, strong, competent, brave. He says he's a man of war. And that war, that word war in Hebrew means to struggle. He's good at hand-to-hand fighting. Prudent in speech, meaning he's eloquent. Man of good presence, meaning he's handsome. Actually, the NIV says he's fine-looking. I didn't write that. That's what the NIV says. If you've got it, you're looking right at it. And it says that the Lord is with him. So the servant has done a full court press of presenting David to his king because they do not want the result of this harmless, harmful spirit to be upon them. And that's going to take us to our fourth point today. And this is the initial relationship between Saul and David. We're going to start taking a look at this starting with verse 19. It says, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. This church is our third crossed path. This is now for the first time Saul and David have crossed paths, okay? Now, Saul has been been sold on the servant's sales pitch. He sends for David. And here's why I honestly think he sent for David. Now, I want you to understand, I didn't read this in any commentary. I didn't, this is just Damien's common sense, all right? I think he sent for David not because he's a man of valor or a man of war, not because he's eloquent, not because he's handsome, and quite honestly, not even because the Lord is with him. I think Saul sent for him because he's a skilled musician, and Saul desperately needs relief. So the king's messengers travel. From Gibeah to Bethlehem. And if you want an idea of how far apart that is, that's about a three and a half hour walk. Okay? So this is going to be about a seven to eight hour round trip to go fetch David and to bring him back. And Jesse sends David to the king, but not empty handed. Okay? He sends him with bread, wine, and a young goat. Now church, were these things that Saul needed? Did the nationally recognized king of Israel, was he running low on bread and wine and goats and needed to make a run to Costco but hadn't? I don't think so. Of course not. But it was customary that when you entered into the king's court, you never entered empty-handed. You always came with a gift. And while we don't know what the time frame is here. Scripture says that David entered Saul's service and Saul loved him greatly. And the connection is so strong even to the point of making David his armor bearer. And that's significant. And I wish I had some time to go into that today, but we've got some other things to talk about. But this was a big deal. 
And David finds favor with Saul. And Saul asks Jesse to allow David to stay in his service. Now, can you imagine this from David's perspective? It wasn't too long ago, David's out in the field with sheep and more sheep. And oh, by the way, more sheep. It's David and the sheep. That's it. And now he's in the king's court as one of his most trusted servants. Mm. But don't forget, church, the spirit of the Lord is now with David. So now we're going to wrap up this section of scripture by looking at the last verse in the chapter, verse 23. And it reads, and whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon David, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. And now we get to look at the gift of David. Okay, David has a gift. No, not talking about that customary stuff that his dad sent him with, but what he is able to do that is unlike any other. See, we can deduce that Saul's torment came in moments because Scripture tells us that whenever Saul was being tormented, David would play. And David played an instrument called the lyre, L-Y-R-E. It is the first stringed instrument ever mentioned in the Bible. And you can look at that back in Genesis chapter 4. So David wasn't the first to play it, but no one had ever played it like he could. And when he played, he just didn't play nice, soothing tunes, okay? As a brother of mine just said, this wasn't elevator music that David was doing. He played songs of worship, songs that gave glory and honor to the Lord God Almighty. Now, we haven't come to this section yet in the life of David, but I'm just going to hop ahead a little bit because in 2 Samuel 23, David is actually referred to the sweet psalmist of Israel. He wrote songs and many psalms. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 31, it is David that is credited with establishing the temple musicians. And I just want to give a shout out to Sister Peggy. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. So that's just some of her knowledge right there, okay? And I am so blessed. We are so blessed that we have our own temple musicians here today. And David's playing was so effective, it says that Saul was refreshed and was well, meaning he was relieved, and he was pleasant, and he was friendly, and he was kind. And David's gift of playing even made that harmful spirit to depart from him. And something tells me that when David played, Saul wasn't the only one who stopped and listened. I just have this sense that if it moved the king, it probably moved everybody else who was in that same space as well. All right, church. So I'm going to ask you to stand with us this morning. We've come to this part of our sermon. I know, I know. We're just, uh, there we go. So we're going to talk about what's your next step today. Okay. David had a gift and he used it in the service of his king and at the request of his king. Now, I'm, I'm not going to ask you what your gift is. I'm only going to ask you, where are you using it? 
Because if you're not using it, then all we're talking about is just a thing you have. Because it doesn't become a gift until what? You give it away. When you give it away. So where is your gift being seen and used? And if it is time for you to give that to the Lord, would you come and let us pray with you for that? We're going to have brothers and sisters that are going to be up here in the front. Come and let us pray with you for that. That's my first question. My second question is this, and I'm going to set this up. Saul experienced something that was nothing less than horrific. See, he, at one point, he's living with the Spirit of God, and then he's not. What must that have been like for Saul? It must have been horrible. So I'm asking you this. Are, today, are you living in the absence of the Spirit of God? Or are you living in the presence of the Spirit of God? Have you crossed paths with Jesus? Have you intersected? Has your life intersected with Jesus? Have you received and accepted him to be your Lord and your Savior? But in the process of doing that, have you lost sight of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, providing for you? Remember, we went through the list. With the Spirit of God, we have restoration, empowerment, protection, guidance, conviction of sin. But maybe today it's time to recommit to being in step with and keeping pace with the Holy Spirit. If that's where you are today, would you come and let us pray with you? But maybe you haven't crossed paths with Jesus until right now. And you may feel like you've come into the presence of King, of the King, but you have no gift to offer him. Please know that the only thing that the King seeks from you is you. Just you. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus is most famously quoted for these, and I think these words are so good for us today. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sit with him. Amen. The temple musicians are getting ready to lead us in a song this morning that says, Have your way in us. Lord, we say yes to you. If this is where you are today, would you come?